Welcome to the Nightly Rant with your hosts, Mike and Toria. This is the show where we examine society from a sarcastic point of view. If you like insane conversations, this is definitely the show for you. Let's get into today's topic. YPN people, I don't know about you, but I love helping out a friend. That's why I want to shout out my friend Brian Little and his podcast, Your Favorite Blockhead. This is the only show that manages to weave together peanuts and MMA into one heck of an amazing podcast. You can find your favorite blockhead wherever your favorite podcasts reside and at yourfavoriteblockhead.com. Do me a huge favor and listen to Brian's show. You'll be entertained and you'll help out a friend. Now, as I said, let's get into today's topic. So, you're never going to believe what I was looking at like not that long you ago. You look at really strange things, so I can only imagine where we're about to go. <laughs> well, I, I was on Amazon, and this book catches my eye because it's written by people who are our, our guests today. It's called Under the Hood, Therapy Twins, How We Hotwired Our Brain, Calmed the Fuck Down, and Let That Shit Go. And it's right there. Now, it's written by Joan and Jane, and they're, they're the therapy twins. They're authors, storytellers, and former therapists that turned psychiatric entertainers. Now, this that part's really interesting to me. Um, so, go ahead. Like, welcome. Hello. Welcome to the show. We welcome to the show. We thought we had more of a bio than that. Sorry about or, that. Uh, we were waiting. We had to do the pause, too, I thought. Yeah, oh. that's no, no problem. Wonderful. You're intrigued by psychiatric entertainer? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am because because I think perhaps maybe I could th- if I thought about it I could point to some entertainers that would you know qualify for that you know as that but if you asked me to define what it was couldn't do it so it's intriguing to me. Wonderful. You want Jane to define? Yes, it? we we sure do. <laughs> well, you know that sure. It's, sure. It's, um, that's a work in progress because we also came up with um, comedy influencers. But basically what we're trying to do is break the stigma of mental illness and what better way than to use a little humor because laughter's the best medicine, it breaks the ice, it brings people closer together, and all those kinds of things. And being former therapists and having had um, our own treatment, I can only speak for myself, this is Jane, that... Um, you know, I got to a point where I couldn't stand listening to myself when, you know, I could only imagine my therapist dying, you know, <laughs> saying, God, could she just stop, Thank you God know, for co-pays. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there come there, there comes a time and for every single person, it's different. But, you know, you can only vent for so long and then you've got to get yourself, you know, off that chair and start living life and practicing and all of that. And, I got to say, I'm sitting next to a natural born comedian over here, which I think was her passion back in the olden days. And and, and you know what? Um, who wants to watch that foreign film that it's so depressing and, you know, more than once, maybe twice. But everybody wants to watch the comedy over and over again. I like the foreign film, too, though, when it's a, when you're having a bad day, uh-huh. Joan. 
you if you watch a movie that's really sad, sadder than your own life, it actually helps me a lot. I'm like that but too. But I follow Jane into what you like say. I'm like that too. The sadder yeah, the movie, definitely. the better I feel at the end. Uh-huh. Absolutely, yeah. I did yeah. that. I did that maybe for too many years. But yeah, I did that. And then I always wanted to be a comedian, but I couldn't pay the bills. So Jane was buying shoes as a nurse. So in the 80s, I became one after her. And then I followed in her What footsteps. a mistake. <laughs> and I followed as the therapist. And people used to wonder why is there, there's just too much laughter going on behind that door. And I thought, well, isn't that what therapy is? Because I naturally, when they told their problems, it's like, wow, maybe I had that as well. You know, you don't bring it up actively, you know, if I'm actively drinking too much, I'm not going to say, well, I had a bottle last night, you know, bummer. But, you know, if you're already through that period, what a better way to mentor or whatever. The doctor said to me, I broke my foot as well. He didn't say, you know, oh, I can't tell you this, but wow, I broke my foot. Shh, don't tell anybody. So that's what happens with mental illness. They say, shh, like this to the baby, shh. I just heard you're never to do that. Yeah, the the suppression of information is just so sad because it makes people feel, um, I don't know, almost, they're afraid to open up and be honest about how they feel because then society puts them down or ignores them or calls them names. You know, there, it can go a lot of different ways and a lot most of them are not good ways. So people just sort of hold back and... You're not going to feel better if you don't let it go. And there's no way to let it go if you just sit there huddled in a corner. In a country of people that could all use a little bit or a lot of bit of therapy. It's amazing to me how much stigma there is around it. And it's... And cutbacks. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same in Canada. I mean, you hear about Canada having universal health care. Mental health care isn't covered under that. Oh, really? See, we were talking to people in England, and they were saying how they um, they make some changes, and they think they fare better than the United States at this point, which would including is, mental health in, with mental health especially. and substance abusers. So that substance oh, abuse. Yeah. So oh, substance. I mean, mental health oh. adds addiction to that. My goodness, are you going to get kicked? Oh my God, yeah. you might as well just go live outside by yourself on Skid Row. Well, that's not by yourself, is it? It's just. <laughs> How we treat people in every other aspect of medicine. When somebody becomes symptomatic, they offer more care. If somebody is a substance abuser, we offer less. Like that's bad. (laughs) And our, and our numbers are bad because of it. We're not, we are not doing good. We are not doing good with our substance abusers. No, Portugal is, but God forbid we're a young country. I think that might be old. We're not going to listen to our elders. (laughs) Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> the parallel there is great because, you know, we've we've had a, a situation brewing around here that I'm not going to really delve into, but just enough to say that it's like that. Hey, you know, I'm going to say that it it was over here up top, but really out, reality was like somewhere down below. And the it's what people do. They tell you their perception of a situation. So, but what what do you think can be done in a society like this to kind of break the ice and help people understand that um, we do need mental health services? Well, I think one of the things is um, 
the professionals coming out and, you know, we're retired and I got in trouble as, um, a prescriber and, you know, people can look me up and say, I'm not going to listen to her, but having suffered mental illness and been the therapist or the prescriber in it, um, I found that unless you, you know, we're all taught, I mean, all therapists, I mean, my goodness, and medical professionals, they're taught not, we are all, all taught to not be judgmental, but we are human and we can't help ourselves. You know, it's like when a, um, and this is well documented, um, black males, especially if they land in a psychiatric facility, they are much more likely to get a, a more potent medication, you know, AKA an antipsychotic than females or whites or other, you know, another race. And more likely to be diagnosed um, with a psychotic disorder. So fear is really the thing that society, all societies share and who fears this, who fears that. And it seems like we fear this thing called mental illness. I think because people are afraid of it. Um, there was some literature years and years ago that a certain type of schizophrenic was a little, little, little bit Just more little. violent Just than the average person. Well, you know, with all our school shootings and our people that go, AKA postal, you know, you know, it's not just the people that have admitted to mental illness, some yes, but other people, I mean, they're sick and tired of the discriminations in the world or in their own little society within their own families. Joan and I are officially the um, only people that suffer, <laughs> suffer from mental oh, illness. God, I'm so God sick bless our parents, they're deceased, but oh no, no. <laughs> you know, people will say, oh, I don't, well, I don't have any mental illness. And so they might even say, oh, I, I wouldn't even know what that feels like. Wow, really, in the 50s, mental illness in the DSM, that Bible that we had to prescribe uh, so that we could diagnose somebody, the DSM, uh, that in the 50s when it came out, even schizophrenia and then down the line, bipolar, depression, anxiety, whatever, that was all a reaction to human trauma. Now, we were duped too. I didn't know that until after I was retired and Apparently in the 60s is when you had to diagnose and have an insurance carrier pay you, so you had to put something down. Well, they took out the reaction to human trauma and just started saying these diagnoses. So now it's kind of nasty online. You know, I hear people blaming the therapist. They don't believe us that there was, you know, the chemical imbalance thing. You eat a piece of chocolate. There's some, up, there's some chemistry going on inside, inside your body. So what I think we did in the office... Well, Jane's famous story, it's not even hers. A client came up to me, I was working with her, and she had gone to Jane, and she said, my God, Joan, thank you so much. And I said, why? And she said, well, you know, I was so afraid, like you said, um, to admit anything. So she admitted three different things that she was just ashamed of. And I think Jane's famous line was, you know, you haven't told me anything I haven't done already. And the, all, the whole guard went down. And she then yes. got really excellent treatment. But if you lie in therapy or the therapist is judging you, you're not getting treatment. You're getting judged. I even got feedback. Um, I used to dress up, you know, in that kind of therapist looking professional type of look. And that at some point, Joan and I were in business together and, you know, we're wearing jeans. Like, please, I can't. I can't play dress up anymore. And the feedback I got was overwhelming about how much 
more easily it was to talk with someone who was dressed down and, and wasn't didn't look so perfect or something. You, you know, know what? What? I'll tell I'll tell you something. The the best therapist I've ever seen in my life would sit in a lazy boy chair with a t-shirt on, his his jeans and a robe cuz he was always cold <laughs> and and slippers. And that's what, how he would be. And he was the best therapist I've ever been to. And he was very relaxed and down to earth. And you, the key element was what you said. There was zero judgment with him. He would say, he'd say things like that. Like, you haven't told me anything I haven't seen or heard already before. You know, uh, you're not the first. You're not going to be the last. You know, let's, let's just talk about this. So I think you're, I think you're exactly right about that because having the personal experience I had, I've seen other therapists who flat out said, you know, you don't have anything wrong with you. And they're like, well, what about this? And what about this? Well, how do you explain that? Well, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, then you, that's a completely opposite experience. That experience, if that was my first experience, right. I would probably shut down and never sought help ever again. You know, why, you know, why would I want to put then myself Then they don't make that, any money you know? off of you. Why would they tell you you don't have any problems at all? That doesn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> Come on, man. Right. <laughs> bad business yes. person as well. Bad therapist. Right. And bad right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they weren't in business yeah. for long. They obviously, that weren't the, they obviously weren't the owner of that business. You know what I'm saying? You know, the other thing is our society has gotten to a point or a place, let's say, where people, some people don't feel comfortable to just bounce things off of their uh, friends or, you know, why don't we all have mentors that the way people used to, you know, I hear a lot of older people, how they spoke of, of this neighbor that, you know, taught them this and that, and this person was so kind and you know, our dad in the military and the army buddies, how close they were. Our dad had PTSD. Uh, I don't know that he knew it, but um, he he never had a treatment until um, he was pre-dementia and then he got dementia. But, you know, treatment for our father, if our father was allowed uh, to be considered a man and a strong man and the supporter of a family, if he was allowed, and yes, they have programs for veterans, but, you know, the neighbors would have been talking. You know, um, people are so afraid to go to therapy. Some One of us mentioned it. <laughs> and most people, they just need to talk an issue out. You know, my practice back in the day, I mean, it was outpatient, the lowest level of care, there's only a, a, per, a small percentage that would go inpatient. Yeah. It's definitely not 50% of your practice, you know, at least mine. And so there's people that just needed to kind of just go and vent and get some non-judgmental support around it. It's a hard thing to find in this world, non-judgmental support. Isn't, You're not isn't right. it? <laughs> And we were, we were kind of coached never to come out with anything. Um, you know, there's different people at my university now, but I ran a group while I was in school, inpatient, <laughs> while I was in school still. And it was an inpatient group of females that had been uh, raped or sexually assaulted. And no one would talk. And when I mentioned my sexual assault, 
everybody came out and, and even the girl who had never told anybody, she got AIDS from her father. Her father had molested her and stuff like that. So my instructor was thrilled at the result, then turned to me and said, but don't ever share that. Um, ever when you're like out of school. And I thought, but what, what are you f- talking about? Are you fucking kidding me? That was the only reason they spoke. If I had just sat there, we- whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's so much easier to share with somebody who's shared something with you. I mean, yes. in my own experiences with in the mental health world, it's, I, I don't share well with people, <laughs> but it's always been easier for me too to share when somebody else has gone through something or whatever. And, and, you know, people who are hesitant to share or hesitant to share the full story, I mean, there's a good reason for that because it is a well-known fact that um, mentally ill people get substandard care in the medical field once you go to the hospital, you know, obese people, elderly. Um, it was really interesting to watch both of our parents. Um, we are Italian, if you want to call it, uh, from our DNA, as far as we know, we're Italian with a little bit of Middle Eastern. Oh, I thought a lot of a Middle lot of, Eastern. Well, 14% <laughs> according to one of those things. But anyway, um, our father looked a little more Italian. His skin was a little darker, the darker hair. And our mom looked like Jaja Gabor, if anyone knows who that is, you know, blonde. She looked Swedish or something like that. It was hard growing right? up with her. She was just perfect looking. It's like, get out of my face. Men would be asking her out at the restaurant. It's like, that's my mother. Aren't you my age? <laughs> it was getting old. And neither of our parents, <laughs> so neither of our parents were drinkers. And yet there was a mistake we're not a mistake. There wasn't a thought that they had to rule it out with each of them. Well, our father, oh dear, the judgment that was swinging around was so, it was awful. Joan, I know I raised my voice. We had bad temper tantrums in the hospital and our mother, the, she looked as like blonde white chick, like a little dog. Um, you know, it was just like a question because she, she died of non-alcoholic cirrhosis. So the question was really very important. Evelyn, how much did you drink in your life? You know, but she was treated in my, our opinion with more respect than our father. Yep. Um, you know, you see it. I I had a client who had his PhD and he had, he ran into trouble with alcoholism and he had, he, I, he had to go inpatient, but I had always talked to him about what happens inpatient. Now be, be aware that you might not be treated with the respect that you deserve. He came out thinking I was lying. He came out because he said, I thought you were lying. He said, and I wasn't treated with the utmost respect, Jane, the way I would be before I had mental illness or people knew I drank. He said, but what hurt him the most was the single mother down the hall who came from a lower socioeconomic background. And he said that he could, he could write a book on how she was treated. It was in his mind. And of course, you know what he said to us when we came out with our mental illness and wrote a book, all he said was you two have balls that he would never ever. And maybe because we have each other. I don't know. I don't know why we didn't care if we came out or not. Well, at this point, well, because we've gotten in a little, we are the black sheeps of our family. And at this point, twins, look, we're under a microscope our whole life. So what we hope is that people can see when you read our book, it's, it's a little light and airy. 
And it talks about, you know, some pretty significant mental illness, some postpartum depression. Oh, I had that. And, and we're still alive. We're still standing. You know, we still go out in public. We laugh. We cry. We're, we're human. Still smiling? Still moving your furniture around? Yes. Yes. Yes, at night. <laughs> 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 oh gosh. That's funny. So so what inspired you to write the book in the first place? Well, oh, this is Joan, I'll tell you. I, I learned all that therapy stuff, which don't get me wrong, is beautiful. It is wonderful. And 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 if you could do, you know, that circle of life in, in a, a therapy, that first session, that's amazing where, you know, somebody could figure out, my God, I am treating my <clears throat> oldest son the exact same way my father treated me or, you know, or I am uh, sleeping with this person. Oh my God, Joan, because I was molested by somebody, you know, in the white car and the this and that, because your body remembers. Mm. People will judge you, but our bodies remember. We have discord in our lives. We're going to have discord in our relationships. Anyway, um, what was the question? What I'm so sorry. <laughs> Joan, what inspired the Joan book? Joan again. Wow. What Joan heard was the, a surgeon general at yeah. the time was so grateful that actors, actresses, um, artists, sports figures <clears throat> were coming out with their own mental illness. But what he had said was, please, professionals, if you, the, the psychiatric professionals, can you come out with yours? Not every single one of them, but to let's decrease the stigma. People are dying because what? Everyone has mental illness except for the people. In the- <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Anybody who works here? Oh no, no, we wouldn't even know what mental illness was. We just have the keys. I'm sorry. <laughs> so anyway, he, I think an uncle or somebody suicided, and he said, "This is ridiculous." Please come out. And I thought, Jane, this is our duty. We have to come out. You know, I told people, most people anyway, and what you do a lot of times in therapy is you just pretend it's another person you knew. And then as you know the person for, you know, if you know a person for 10 years, is it that bad? I mean, surgeons, cardiologists, primary care, they do it all the time. um, AA, NA, they, they are expected to come out, the people, the counselors. So why in our profession is it still like that? There's where coming out as a professional is needed. Yeah. We separate too much. It's, it's just, um, you know, we have all the power. And if we don't dumb it down a little bit, you know, first of all, no, they're not, people aren't going to tell you the truth. I'll tell you, when I switched to jeans and, you know, the dress down stuff, some people pajamas. We went in there. You're in COVID. I had peaches. The story changed a little bit, and I, in my head, I, I mean, I didn't say, "Hey, you, you told me your father did the when really his father was in a federal prison." You know, it. People ended up telling you things, and you know what? That was what, that's rewarding. That that means you know, because what are we on this earth for if not to ha- have relationships and have kind ones? Because uh, this is Jane talking. My goodness, talk about I uh, in therapy. What I figured out was I didn't like men very much, <laughs> and I had a son so, and some male cats, and so that wasn't going to go well unless I changed my tune. And I found that I admitted a lot to one of my therapists, and one of them told me to cut my father out of my life, which was, she didn't even ask me if that was like, and you know what? It's what I heard. She might not have said it, but what I heard was you have to cut your father out of your life. Well, I'm Italian and I was raised, there are Italians, 
and all families that are into cutoffs, but our family was raised not to. So I couldn't go there. And then another one that well, I you could have, I could have, I chose not to go there and to her. And the other one uh, who I thought wasn't judging me at all. And then I ran into that person because we kind of worked together. And there was a comment that was very below the belt about a, um, a family member. And I thought, you know, that's just not cool. But And so we figured, why don't we just come out? Marsha Lenahan did. She's a PhD. You guys, she wrote um, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. It's uh, mainly for a, a group of people that are extremely judged in psychiatry. Yeah, they, <laughs> they have this thing. I won't even, I actually would never diagnose. Joan and I were firm on if somebody thought they had that, we, okay, if you think so, if they came out of the hospital with that diagnosis. Personality It's a personality disorder. It's not one that you want because once you have it and the staff in any hospital, clinic, situation, medical or psychiatry, I've seen people treated differently with it. And, you know, it's mostly women. It's, you know, mostly, you know, women that are like, whoa. But we're lucky. We came from a time. And I have some of the traits. Thank you. I'm not judging. I have some. We came from a time in the early 1980s where the old psychiatric facility, yeah, the medicines were terrible. Some of the treatment was barbaric. You didn't even go under anesthesia for east, uh, electric shock there. It was bad. But, you know, they didn't know. But what they gave was... Or they was, didn't care as much about that particular patient but, population. But what they gave was... To- that was my first job. There was zero judgment. There was zero, um, we're going to charge the patient with assault you know, it's the staff's fault. If you make a patient, if they're going to be afraid of you, you know, you back off. You don't go there. You know, if that's why people yeah. strike out is out of fear. If so, a patient assaults a staff member, the staff in the hospital, they're looking into why did that happen? And you're, Joan's right. It's the facility. It's the staff. We did something unsafe. So the treatment back then was taking people out for pizza, taking them to the movies. I went on a ski trip for three days with plenty of staff and a, a locked fishing box for the meds. But, you know, the patients were got to ski and do all these fun things and come to find out after they lied to us and took that um, reaction to human trauma out from the 50s out of that book and they just lied to us. That treatment back in the 80s was the treatment. So when the businessmen took over healthcare, especially psych, uh, mental health, it became um, a business model. All of a sudden, instead of staying for 10 months, my first primary patient was three years. She was in the same facility. People got to go out, though, and go to school and come back. I mean, they they got better. So nowadays, um, nobody's getting better. Why? Because if you have mental illness, and especially uh, trauma mental illness, If you're not going out doing things with another human being that you trust, your brain is never going to change. You're always going to see, I used to see my brother-in-law as a threat. You know, he'd stir the pot wrong and I'd be out of that house screaming and threatening his life because my body oh, not, not remembered, really. you know, it went from here Joan, to there. Joan wasn't homicidal. I did not like him at all. That poor <laughs> man is dead. She, de- I did she definitely didn't like upon him. Upon meeting him. <laughs> but then we got... Uh, past life regression, and within one day, I didn't hate that man anymore. He he, come to find out, um, one brother-in-law killed me in a past life. I was a deer, and his his first shot did not kill me. 
And it was the second shot that did. But as soon as I was hypnotized into seeing that, it was amazing. And the funny thing about this gentleman, Dr. Brian Weiss, who did our past life regression in a group setting, um, he, we find out he was a Yale psychiatrist. Yeah. And he knew a lot of people that we knew when we first became psych nurses that were the brilliant people that every we respected and they were kind and, and they talked about the trauma. And the funny thing is, is, is ask a, a Yale psychiatrist about Dr. Brian Weiss and they will just kind of poo-poo it a little because he does past life regression and that's not considered science. Hmm. So here's a treatment that might work, hmm. but nope. But that's not science, so no... Wow. No credibility. No. Well, well, we are running out of time. So Sorry. We oh. why, don't, why don't you tell yes. our audience where they can find you? And I know for sure they can find your book on Amazon. So please go there and give them support. Actually, and it's go free ahead. right now. The book is for free. And oh, you can nice. find us on all social media. It's just our handles are at Therapy Twins. One word. The, not the Rappy Twins. We have a lot of rappers following us on Twitter because of that. They thought we were rappers. <laughs> but that's not us. We are Therapy Twins. And that's, you'll find us. It's easy. So the ebook is on, um, is on the Kindle app. But also, for some reason... If you just type in Amazon.uk and then the name of the book under the hood, it comes up a lot quicker. <laughs> oh, yeah. UK's got it. Long story. So long story. But yeah, it's called Under the Hood. Thank you. Okay. Awesome. Like I said, I recommend people get it. So, But thanks again for your time and being on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And on that note, good night, everyone. Hasta la bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Nightly Rant. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. If you didn't enjoy the show, please just ignore that previous request for a rating. This has been a Yogi's Podcast Network production.